Greetings, you're listening to podcast number 143 of Blast the Right. I'm your host, Jack Clark. Great to have you on board. Today, you'll start off by hearing about something sure to make the head of your friendly local right-winger explode. Franklin Delano Roosevelt's proposed second Bill of Rights. And continuing our crusade to expose all right-wing talking points for the lies they are, you'll get the truth about whether tax cuts really produce greater government revenue. Let's get right into it. Your sources for this segment include the Boston Globe, the University of Virginia's Miller Center, AmericanRhetoric.com, the Los Angeles Times, BrainyQuote.com, and the New York Times. Two podcasts ago, you heard me debunk the right's claim that the New Deal failed and even made things worse. The facts, of course, are that the New Deal reduced unemployment every year, except when Roosevelt started implementing more conservative policies. New Deal financial regulations provided the foundation of a recovery and a stable economic system. And millions upon millions of Americans were helped by New Deal jobs and other programs, allowing them to survive the Republican Great Depression. Many economists feel that the problem with the New Deal is that it didn't go far enough in terms of spending, or else it would have been even more successful in the short term. The right's anti-New Deal offensive is aimed at besmirching Obama's stimulus plan. You know the old saying, the best defense is a good offense? Well, instead of just playing defense and defending the New Deal against Republican attacks, let's go on the offensive. I've got something for you to throw at them that'll induce cardiac arrest. Figuratively speaking, of course. Especially since right-wingers have no heart. Okay, cheap shot. What I'm talking about is FDR's second Bill of Rights. Have you ever heard of it? It all started with his Four Freedoms speech, his State of the Union address delivered in January 1941. Listen to near the end of the speech here, where FDR speaks words I don't think were ever uttered before by a leader of a major world power. If I'm wrong, please let me know. In the future days, which we seek to make secure, we look forward to a world-founded upon four essential human freedoms. The first is freedom of speech and expression everywhere in the world. The second is freedom of every person to worship God in his own way everywhere in the world. Okay, here it comes the never-before-uttered third freedom. The third is freedom from want, which translated into world terms means economic understandings which will secure to every nation a healthy, peacetime life for its inhabitants everywhere in the world. And then he concludes, The fourth is freedom from fear, which translated into world terms means a worldwide reduction of armaments to such a point and in such a thorough fashion that no nation will be in a position to commit an act of physical aggression against any neighbor anywhere 
in the world. Freedom from want, which, translated into world terms, means economic understandings which will secure to every nation a healthy peacetime life for its inhabitants everywhere in the world. Freedom from want? Right-wingers and libertarians advocate the freedom to be in want, freedom to starve to death even if you're ready, willing, and able to work. Right-wing freedom. Perhaps you're thinking of the same famous quote I am from Anatole Franz. The law, in its majestic equality, forbids the rich as well as the poor to sleep under bridges, to beg in the streets, and to steal bread. FDR made it clear That is no vision of a distant millennium. It is a definite basis for a kind of world attainable in our own time and generation. Not a pipe dream, obtainable in his generation 60 years ago. We still haven't. Damn right-wingers. Now, let's look at this strategically. I agree with linguist and progressive advocate George Lakoff that we progressives need to reclaim the word freedom. Lakoff puts it like this, quote, Social security, the minimum wage, universal health care, college for all are ways to guarantee freedom from want. The 45 million working people who can't afford health care cannot all pull themselves up by their bootstraps. An economy that drives down wages to increase investor profits creates a cheap labor trap. The trap works against freedom from want. For more than two centuries, Americans demanded successive expansions of freedom, progressive freedom, expansions of voting rights, civil rights, education, public health, scientific knowledge, and protections from fear and want. These all made us freer to follow our dreams. These were the ideals of freedom that I grew up with. They are now all under threat, not by guns or bombs, but an under-the-radar redefinition of freedom and liberty to suit right-wing ideology. Close quote. And a phenomenal way to go on the offensive with this progressive concept of freedom is by invoking FDR's Second Bill of Rights. It was January 1944, in the middle of World War II. Plenty of hard fighting still ahead a conflict that makes our so-called war on terror seem like a walk in the park. We faced enemies like Tojo's Japan and Hitler's Germany that truly had the power to take over the world, not 19 guys with box cutters. There was rationing, not calls to go shopping. Did FDR say, oh, it's a time of war, we can't afford to make sure all Americans have their basic needs met, we can't afford housing, health care, decent jobs, we can't afford all that, it's too expensive, not at this time. No, the exact opposite. In his January 11, 1944 State of the Union speech, FDR set forth what one of the four freedoms, freedom from want, would entail. First he mentioned the ultimate global goal. An equally basic essential to peace, permanent peace, is a decent standard of living for all individual men and women and children in all nations. Freedom from fear is eternally linked with freedom from want. Then he went on to set a philosophical foundation as applied to the United States. More than the winning of the war, it is time to begin the plans and determine the strategy for winning a lasting peace and the establishment of an American standard of living higher than ever known before. This republic had its beginning and grew to its present strength under the protection of certain inalienable political rights, among them 
the right of free speech, free press, free worship, trial by jury, freedom from unreasonable searches and seizures. They were our rights to life and liberty. We have come to a clearer realization of the fact, however, that true individual freedom cannot exist without economic security and independence. Necessitous men are not free men. People who are hungry, people who are out of a job, are the stuff of which dictatorships are made. I've played that necessitous men quote before from FDR's 1936 acceptance speech at the Democratic Convention. He likes that quote. So do I. It's kind of progressive thought in a nutshell. It's also a hallmark of right-wing thought. Necessitous men are not free men. They agree. But they want them to be necessitous, to keep large numbers of workers at subsistence-level wages too busy slaving away to challenge those in power and guaranteeing maximum profits. FDR goes on to name and flesh out his second Bill of Rights. In our day, these economic truths have become accepted as self-evident. We have accepted, so to speak, a second Bill of Rights under which a new basis of security and prosperity can be established for all, regardless of station or race or creed. Among these are the right to a useful and remunerative job in the industries, or shops, or farms, or mines of the nation. The right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation. The right of farmers to raise and sell their products at a return which will give them and their families a decent living. A living wage, not a minimum wage an inch above starvation, but a living wage enough to lead a decent life. If you work full time, you won't be in poverty, period. Over 9 in 10 Americans agree that's how it should be. You know, in these excerpts, you're not hearing a guy who, okay, he's great on the issues like Dennis Kucinich, but he's not likely to ever be president. This is the actual president of the United States speaking, a president who'd already been elected three times and would go on to be elected for a fourth term. I think I'd drop dead of a heart attack if I ever heard a current day U.S. president speak like this. In a moment, more of FDR's Second Bill of Rights. Stick around. There's a Vietnam vet with a cardboard sign Sitting there by the left turn line A flag on his wheelchair flapping in the breeze One leg missing and both hands free No one's paying much mind to him The VA budget's just stretched so thin And there's more coming back from the Mideast War We can't make it here anymore And that big old building was a textile mill It fed our kids and it paid our bills But they turned us out and they closed the doors We can't make it here anymore Continuing on with Mr. Roosevelt. 
the right of every businessman, large and small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom from unfair competition and domination by monopolies at home or abroad. Reagan and those Republicans following him stopped enforcing the Sherman Antitrust Act, and Roosevelt could never imagine the size of the present-day multinationals dominating the global economy. The right of every family to a decent home. What, the underpass isn't good enough? The right to adequate medical care and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health. Truman tried to pass a national health care program. Couldn't. You know who's to blame. Guess who else proposed a federal guarantee of adequate health care? Richard M. Nixon during his first term. Thanks to listener Craig from Indiana for pointing this out to me. Hey, right-wingers, that makes sense, doesn't it? Nixon proposing a socialist commie pingo-type thing. After all, wasn't he the traitor who normalized relations with communist China? Listen to me. Every single other developed nation on the planet Earth has a guarantee of health care for all its citizens. Are they all crazy, or is it us? Why are they so much more morally advanced than we are? Why are we as a nation so morally backward? Actually, that's not fair. The American people have consistently supported a federal guarantee of health care. A New York Times poll asked, Do you think the federal government should guarantee health insurance for all Americans, or isn't this the responsibility of the federal government? 64% supported the guarantee, only 27% disagreed. And in the last 10 years, the number in support has considerably grown. The trend is our way. It's the hard right and the health industrial complex mega lobby who sabotage this. A compliant corporate media reports ad nauseum the idiotic claim that it's not politically doable, it's properly off the table, it's out of the realm of possibility. All these talking heads have gold-plated health care plans themselves, you can be sure. As do all members of Congress, including all those holier-than-thou, government-shouldn't-guarantee-health-care, right-wingers. Okay, let me get back to some more FDR for you as he continues on with his second Bill of Rights. The right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age and sickness and accident and unemployment. Finally, the right to a good education. All of these rights spell security. And after this war is won, we must be prepared to move forward in the implementation of these rights to new goals of human happiness and well-being. Now, listen to this warning. America's own rightful place in the world depends in large part upon how fully these and similar rights have been carried into practice for all our citizens. For unless there is security here at home, there cannot be lasting peace in the world. One of the great American industrialists of our day, a man who has rendered yeoman service to his country in this crisis, recently emphasized the grave dangers of rightist reaction in this nation. All clear-thinking businessmen share that concern. Indeed, if such reaction should develop, if history were to repeat itself, and we were to return to the so-called normalcy of the 1920s, then it is certain that even though we shall have conquered our enemies on the battlefields abroad, we shall have yielded to the spirit of fascism here at home.
FDR fears fascism if people are unfed, unhoused, and the like. I ask the Congress to explore the means for implementing this economic Bill of Rights. For it is definitely the responsibility of the Congress so to do, and the country knows it. Many of these problems are already before committees of the Congress in the form of proposed legislation. I shall from time to time communicate with the Congress with respect to these and further proposals in the event that no adequate program of progress is evolved, I am certain that the nation will be conscious of the fact. He knows the people want it. And finally, apropos of our own war on terror, such as it is. Our fighting men abroad and their families at home expect such a program and have the right to insist on it. It is to their demands that this government should pay heed rather than to the whining demands of selfish pressure groups who seek to feather their nests while young Americans are dying. In other words, war profiteering chicken hawks. I'm going to have to go off here again, at least a bit. War profiteering drives me insane. In a 1939 radio address, the very first one he made after World War II broke out in Europe, FDR said, I cannot prophesy the immediate economic effect of this new war on our nation. But I do say that no American has the moral right to profiteer at the expense either of his fellow citizens or of the men, the women, and the children who are living and dying in the midst of war in Europe. Another time Roosevelt proclaimed I don't want to see a single war millionaire created in the United States as a result of this world disaster. Can you imagine George W. Bush or any of these right-wing neocons saying anything like that? It's the exact opposite. As you heard way back in Podcast 30, the profits of military contractors skyrocketed as the cost of the Iraq war soared. The biggest winner at least a couple of years ago? Halliburton, Dick Cheney's old stomping grounds. What a surprise there, huh? Nothing to do with the fact Cheney ran the company. As a New York Times writer put it, look at the money machines these contractors have become as the war drags on. And the Bush family, including members you never heard of, is making sure to get its fair share. In Podcast 37, you heard about William H.T. Bush, Georgie's Uncle Bucky, who pocketed a cool $2.7 million in cash and stock. The company he was a director of made out like a bandit with military contracts once the Iraq and Afghan wars got underway. How prescient was FDR? Proof that Roosevelt was correct that his second Bill of Rights is critical not just for a fair and decent America, but for a peaceful world itself, is now smacking us in the face. As reported a few weeks ago in the New York Times under the headline, Job losses pose a threat to stability worldwide. Worldwide job losses from the recession that started in the United States in December 2007 could hit a staggering 50 million by the end of 2009. High unemployment rates, especially among young workers, have led to protests in countries as varied as Latvia, Chile, Greece, Bulgaria, and Iceland, and I'd add China, and contributed to strikes in Britain and France. Last month, the government of Iceland, whose economy is expected to contract 10% this year, 
collapsed and the Prime Minister moved up national elections after weeks of protests by Icelanders angered by soaring unemployment and rising prices. The International Monetary Fund expects that by the end of the year, global economic growth will reach its lowest point since the Depression. Close quote. How serious is this? Check this out. Quote, Just last week, the new United States Director of National Intelligence, Dennis C. Blair, told Congress that instability caused by the global economic crisis had become the biggest security threat facing the United States, outpacing terrorism. Close quote. These right-wingers and their rob-from-everyone-else-to-give-to-the-rich economic policies are dangerous. They're screwing up the entire world, increasing human misery, suffering, pain, and death on a global scale. Next week or shortly thereafter, I'll tell you about how FDR's second Bill of Rights has actually gone global, been enshrined as an aspiration by all the world's nations. Until then, go on the offensive with what you heard here today. If your rightward inclined friends, relatives, and acquaintances start bashing the New Deal, turn it around. Say, what are you talking about? The New Deal didn't go far enough. I want to see FDR's second Bill of Rights implemented. And then tell them all about it. Your one-minute voting report. Great news, we fought our way back onto the News and Politics featured page on iTunes. If you stepped up to the plate since the last show and wrote a five-star review, thank you. If you had written a five-star review before that, thank you as well. And if you haven't yet written a five-star review, but have been intending to do so, well then, thank you in advance. Now, please go do it. Being on the featured page gets lots of new listeners and puts another progressive voice amidst all that corporate media propaganda. You only have to do it once. It stays up there forever, countering the one-star sabotage reviews. Over at PodcastAlley.com, we're flying the progressive flag strong at number five. Voting starts anew there each month, so if you haven't yet voted this month, you can still do so. Thanks. How'd you like to now go from sublime social justice philosophizing to everyday run-of-the-mill right-wing lying? Your sources in this quick blast segment include MediaMatters.org and MarketWatch.com. Here's Sean Hannity and Mary Madeline during the 08 campaign, propagating a lie that's repeated endlessly to this day. Get a whiff of this mutual reinforcement of misbelief or deliberate lying. Hard to tell which. We've got to strengthen the dollar. We've got to create investment opportunities. I, I'd eliminate the corporate income tax. Just get rid of yes. it. Let's, yes. let's bring business to America and say, if you come here, you're going to make money and you're going to get to keep your money. Uh, I'd cut the capital gains tax, the opposite of which direction that Barack Obama wants to go in. Do you wish that we were hearing more of these solutions to the Republicans' uh, plan? 
Yes, and my presumption is that by the next debate, not the vice presidential debate, because it'll be the presidential candidates that will be setting the policy, that McCain, John McCain, who started, at least gave the beginning of an answer to how he would, what he would do in response to having what is at least going to be a short-term cost to the taxpayers, is that he'd freeze spending. Well, then the next step is to lower taxes because it creates jobs and it creates wealth back, revenues back to the government, starting with taxes and do capital gains and, ex and expand that. Every time, we have to keep teaching history over and over, going back to Jack Kennedy, every time we cut taxes. We raise revenues. We, we raise revenue. All right, here's my next question. It's just not true. Don't take my word for it or the words of liberal economists. I'm not going to tell you what a single progressive economist says. Only those on Hannity's side to show you the depth of his intellectual barrenness. Conservative economists say what Hannity is selling is pure poppycock. Take your pick. Alan Viard, senior economist for Bush's Council of Economic Advisors, speaking of Bush's tax cuts. Federal revenue is lower today than it would have been without the tax cuts. There's really no dispute among economists about that. Edward Lazier, when he was chairman of Bush's Council of Economic Advisors. Will the tax cuts pay for themselves? As a general rule, we do not think tax cuts pay for themselves. Certainly, the data presented do not support this claim. Here's another chief economist for that advisory council under Bush and John McCain's senior policy advisor, Douglas Holtz Aiken. You are not going to get tax cuts to pay for themselves. And another former chairman of Bush's council, Gregory Mancou. Quote, a broad-based income tax cut would recoup only about a quarter of the lost revenue through supply-side growth effects. For a cut in capital income taxes, the feedback is larger, about 50%, but still well under 100%. Close quote. Even Bush Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson at his 2006 confirmation hearing said, As a general rule, I don't believe that tax cuts pay for themselves. The radical left website, MarketWatch, said that Paulson was, quote, echoing the opinion of most economists. And what about increasing taxes? Does that reduce revenue like right-wingers claim? No. Manku again. Quote, some supply-siders like to claim that the distortionary effect of taxes is so large that increasing tax rates reduces tax revenue. Like most economists, I don't find that conclusion credible for most tax hikes and I doubt Mr. Paulson does either." Close quote. As mentioned earlier, all this applies to capital gains cuts as well. By the way, right-wingers are totally happy with tax cuts reducing government revenue. Starve the beast, drown it in the bathtub, all that. So there you have it. Hannity will give you phony stats about how Reagan's tax cuts increased revenue, blah blah blah. Just tell any right-winger making any of these ludicrous claims to you that the leading conservative economists disagree. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right. Vote for Blast the Right at PodcastAlley.com. And, of course, write a five-star review for Blast the Right in the iTunes Music Store. If you have access to LexisNexis, and occasionally you could do a bit of research on it for me, please drop me a line. And now a word from another progressive podcaster. What is it about working men and women that drives you Republicans crazy? When does the greed stop? What is the price? Challenge corporate power. Damn what's wrong with people in this country. 
say hell no until these weak-kneed Democrats end this war. Ah, you pigs, you pigs. This first step is a step right off a cliff. The best of the left podcast. He's a liar. He's a thug. He's a punk. One word. Katrina! You lead this country, sir. You claim to defend it. Pathetic. You can't claim support for our troops without supporting their mission, Mr. Speaker. God, that is so dishonest on so many levels. All those people who died on 9-11, and you guys want to use 9-11 as an excuse to do everything you want, attack Iraq and Iran, the people that have absolutely nothing to do with 9-11? Don't you dare talk about 9-11, please. This election is our chance to give the American people a reason to believe again. It is time now for Barack Imagine This American Life meets Progressive Talk Radio. Each week we choose a political theme and bring you a variety of stories on that theme, only at bestoftheleft.com. Music credits. The break music was LA Nightmare by 22 Caliber, Not the One Blues by Bernshee Thornside, and We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry. We'll close with a little bit of Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. I'm also now posting transcripts of each show. All of those can be found linked to off the main podcast homepage. I do love getting your email. My address is rational at roadrunner.com. I'm still trying to catch up, but I think I'm current at least since last podcast. A small victory. You can also call and leave a comment for me to play on the show. Just dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. Another way to leave a message is on Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. We had a bundle in the treasury drawer More than there had ever been before but every day we're drowning deeper in debt Maybe four years should be all you get Then you gave tax breaks to the millionaires And you tried to make the working man pay But you can't tax a man when his job's not there Now look at where we are today Hey, I'm taking my country back Son, you ain't Treating my stuff.